0: Thank you for having me. It's good to be back here. Um, Every time I visited you or spent time with Dave or members of your congregation, I come away thinking, oh, there's just a good vibe here. The Spirit is at work. So thanks for allowing me to come here and preach this morning uh, and help you explore what it means to be stewards of creation. That is a really, really important question, and... It's becoming more and more important as we learn about things that are going on in our world, particularly as it relates to the health of our planet. And for me, when you ask the question, what does it mean to be a steward? It raises a whole host of other questions. What, is it, what does it mean when we say the word creation? What do we mean when we say that? How does our stewardship of the non-human world connect with other aspects of our faith, like evangelism and social justice? There's just a whole bunch of questions, and I'm a kind of a question person. I think that's how we learn, that's how we grow, that's how we get challenged. And in fact, when I was younger, I asked so many questions that my grandparents, who loved me deeply, would tell my parents, if we go on a long road trip, please don't sit him next to us. <laughs> I would just pepper them with questions. And these are important questions. And now as a parent, myself, I'm on the receiving end of all these types of key, important questions. And one of the key questions that I get asked, I have three children, they're different ages, 14, 10, and 5, but all of them ask the same question over and over again. Where did I come from? Where did I come from? That's a big question, and as a parent, you answer it in different ways. And for younger kids, parents tend to answer this question in mythological uh, uh, responses. Uh, The stork dropped you off at our our doorstep. And for a five-year-old, that's enough. They're okay. They're satisfied. But then it becomes unsatisfying, and when they're older, they ask it again. And this time, parents sometimes answer with geography. Well, you were born at this hospital, and we were living in this house, and that's, that's where you come from. When they get older, they might ask it again, and then you have to talk about biology. And that's where it really gets complicated as a parent, and you're tempted to say, go talk to your mother about that. (laughs) But those are important questions to ask. And essentially, what they're asking, kids are asking when they ask that over and over again, is they're saying, what is my origin story? What is my origin story? And it's so important for kids to know where they come from that they will ask it again and again and again. And I find, as a grown uh, man, I will ask my parents the same kind of things. You know, now that I'm older, I think back, what about this aspect of my childhood or your childhood? Help me understand where I came from. And we all have origin stories. Each person here has an origin story about your life, about your family. We have an origin story about how this nation was founded. Or we have competing stories about how this nation was founded. And, uh, you know, if you're a movie producer, you've learned that you can make a lot of money if you do an origin story of everybody's favorite superhero. (laughs) Every every superhero has an origin story movie, because we care about those things. And in fact, there's lots of origin stories in our faith. It's not that long ago that we celebrated Christmas, which is essentially an origin story for Jesus. Where did Jesus come from? That's Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. And there's origin stories about what the decisions you make in your life. And two years ago, I decided to step out of formal pastoral ministry and start an organization called Circlewood. And part of the origin story is this. I grew up in a church that emphasized that faith was the most important thing about your life. And I learned how personal that was, that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus and He would forgive my sins, and that was a wonderful, enriching thing. But as I read the Bible and learned more, I thought, hmm, there seems like there's more to it than that. And I began to see the social side of the gospel, that we were meant to care for our neighbors, particularly those in need. And then I began to see that there's a justice aspect of that social side. And it was all throughout Scripture. And that enlivened my faith and, and allowed me to grow as a disciple of Jesus. But still, I kept reading the scriptures and seeing that there was even more to it than that. That there was this whole non-human world, the very creation itself, which as I read scripture over and over again, I found woven all throughout its pages. And God got bigger for me. And the, and the, the scriptures got bigger for me. And that brings us to today. Because what I want to do today is explore creation with you in terms of our big O origin story. For Christians, this is the origin story, and it begins with Genesis. And I want to spend some time with Genesis, kind of unpacking that with you a little bit. But then I want you to see how that is woven throughout the rest of Scripture. So what I'd like to do is have a, a kind of a lengthy responsive reading. We've done a little bit of it already, but I, I think this will, be, will help us get into the text this morning. If you and I read responsively the whole of Genesis 1. Now you guys get to play the role of God. So if you were ever somebody ever accused you of always wanting to play God, this is your moment. All right, you get to be the voice of God. So we're going to read this responsively, and I'll read the light print. And when the next slide uh, comes in, you'll see your yours the voice of God. So nice and loud, with authority. This is. The beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, and Let there be a vault between the waters, to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be added to one place, and, and let the dry not remember And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land reduce sea-verning plants, and trees from the land that bear their fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let, let the heavenly lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night, and let them serve as the signs to mark sacred times, and the days and years. Let the water team with the living creatures, and earth across the walls the So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, "Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they can rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures and move along on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that was on the ground. Then God said, I can give every seed bearing plant on the face of the world. Evening, they would be yours for food, and, and all the beasts of the earth, to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. The first question that Genesis helps us answer is, where did all this come from? What is this? When you wake up in the morning and open your eyes and put your feet on the ground and begin to experience the day, where did this all come from? And it's easy when we read Genesis to get distracted maybe sometimes by questions of faith and science because those are telling what some people think are competing origin stories, where it all came from. I tend to think they're Complementary stories And I think what Genesis 1 Is really interested in telling us Is who is behind this When you wake up in the morning And look around and begin your day Who is behind that And it tells us right from the beginning In the beginning God God created the heavens and the earth Which is in the Bible shorthand for everything Everything you can lay your eyes on Or listen to or smell or taste or touch That all comes from God And it tells us that in the beginning, the Spirit of God God hovered over the waters. And in Hebrew, the word for spirit also means breath, and it means wind. God's very breath hovered over the formless earth, and then God spoke it in this amazing picture of a six-day creation, spoke it into being, which is what you reenacted by speaking the words of God. Spoke creation into into being. And then when it was finished, God rested on the seventh day in the Sabbath, looking out over the world that God had made. And I think it's important to ask, on that seventh day, that first Sabbath, when God looked over creation, what did God see? What is this world that we live in? The first thing we notice is that God created an ordered world. It, or, God ordered time. Days and nights, seasons and special times. There's a rhythm to our life. God also ordered space. It's no longer chaos and darkness. There's land and then there's earth and sea. God ordered all the life that appears on the earth. The plants, the fish, the birds, the beasts, and even those strange human creatures that appear at the end. It's an ordered world. And it's also a complex world. Did you notice how often you hear hear the word teems or fill? The earth is full, full, teeming with life. And it's all interconnected. Everything has its place, has its order. But it's all interconnected and interdependent. There's a unity in the earth's diversity and a wholeness to it. And in that, it's not just static. It's not that God created all these things and, okay, you have this place and you have this place and you have this place. What we see in Genesis 1 is a living system. And it's important to say that when God finished creating, that picture we get in Genesis 1, God was finished, but it wasn't complete. Creation wasn't done. And whenever I think about this, I think of when I went to see the first Lord of the Rings movie. Now, I'd read all the books, and I was excited, so I went to the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, and watched it. And at the end of the movie, Frodo and Sam walk into Mordor. It's kind of this sad, lonely walk, and then the credits roll. Well, I knew there were two more movies to come, but the person in front of me clearly didn't, because all she said loud for everybody here is that's how it ends. <laughs> she didn't know there was more to come. In the same way with creation, God completes creation. It's whole, but it's not finished, it's just begun. So we need to think about this original creation like planting a garden. You do all that work, you put the seeds in the ground, but that's just the beginning. Or when parents have a baby, when you bring it home, that's just the beginning. Or for you all here, when you plant a church, all the work, all the different components that you have to bring together to make it possible, and you plant that church, well, it's finished, it's whole, but you've only just begun. That's the picture we get in Genesis. It's complete, but it's not finished. And God is not finished with it and stays involved. Time and again in Scripture, we see that God didn't create the world like a watchmaker would make a watch. Get it all together, wind it up, and let it go. No, God is intimately involved in the day-to-day of creation. Hear this from Psalm 104. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face... They are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. That talks about a God who is continually breathing his very life into creation. And for you here, you should catch that word at the very end. You renew the face of the ground. God is a renewing God every single day. That's the kind of dynamic, amazing, beautiful, complex, living, breathing world that God created. So the next question, of course, is then where do we fit in that? Where do we come in? Now, if you grew up in church, this is usually the part of the creation story where people say, and then humans were made, and they're so special. They're so different from every other creature. God set them apart from creation as His special creatures. And this world, while we're in this world, is only temporary. We're only passing through. So many songs I remember growing up are, this world is not our home, we're only passing through. But when you read the first chapter of Genesis, you see that is only partially true. Before anything else, what Genesis tells us is that we are creatures. We are fellow creatures. In fact, in Genesis 2, when God creates Adam, the first human being, that Hebrew word Adam is shorthand for a longer word called Adamah, which is soil. It's an earth man that God creates, sculpting him out of the very soil of creation. In English, we often say, humans come from humus. The living part of the soil that gives everything life. Before anything else, you and I are part of this living, dynamic, beautiful creation. And we are dependent on it. Dependent on the sun and the moon and the seasons and the fish and the birds. And all of that which God has put together that gives us life. Once we know that, then we can say, yes, we are also set apart. We are also unique creatures. What you read in the voice of God was, let us make human beings in our image. There's a special unique thing about being human. But what I have learned in my study of Scripture is that that image of God, the unique way which uh, God has created human beings, is a royal image. It's God as king saying, let's make some princes and princesses of creation. These are my special family within this, all this dynamic world. These are my special creatures. And you can see that we're commanded to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over these creatures. Do you hear that royal kind of language? You and I are princes and princesses of creation, serving the king, God. But the expectation as you read through Scripture... The expectation is that we will be partners with God in serving creation. Not that it serves us, but that we serve creation, just like God. That is our vocation. That is what every human is called to do in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve are placed in that beautiful garden of Eden, they're told to tend, to keep it, to spread it, to help it flourish, to join God in the work of ongoing creation. A beautiful calling. And if that's how it all started, and if that's the calling that God gave to every single one of us, the next question is just as important. Well, where's it going? Where's it meant to go? What's the purpose behind it all? Or as what I often hear when people look at the news, what's the world coming to? Now that, we often ask that question with a little bit of despair. But when we read Genesis, and then we start to read that in light of the rest of of the Bible, we begin to say, oh, what's this world coming to? What does God have planned for this world in which we were created? And here's where I think this is maybe a challenging thing for some of you to hear. Is that God created a world that was complete but not yet finished. That it was meant to change and grow and mature. Just like each and every single one of us are created to grow and change and mature and flourish. Just like you plant a garden. You That's not the end. Just when you have a baby, that's just the beginning. Just when you plant a church, it's just the beginning. It's meant to grow and mature and flourish and become something even more beautiful. And what the Bible tells us really quickly in Genesis chapter 3 is that when sin came into the world, it started to pull apart all of those beautiful connections. All of those things that made creation so wonderful and complex and God's living, breathing world began to be pulled apart, and those those connections and relationships started to be fractured. And it's at this point where most Christians kind of leave creation behind. Nope, sin's in the world. Now we know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come and die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Absolutely true. But not the end. Only part of the story. And what I want to tell you this morning is that for a long time the church has held on to that part of the story as if it were the whole story. And not part of something even bigger that God was doing. When we focus on Jesus and when you begin to read Jesus and learn about Jesus' relationship to the wider creation, all of a sudden God begins to get a whole lot bigger. All of a sudden, the gospel becomes even greater good news. And I'll show you this this morning through a couple of scriptures. Here's from the beginning of John's gospel. Listen to the language of how John wants to introduce us to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. That's a code name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was at the beginning. Jesus was part of the original creation. Think about that for a minute. Jesus did not appear out of nowhere. Was part of God from the beginning. And Jesus became flesh. God became flesh. God became a creature like you and me. And when God did that in Jesus, the divine and the human became together in a way that had never happened before. Something special entered into the world with Jesus. Heaven and earth became one. And that image of God that we were created in that was broken and fractured through sin, began to be healed. And we see that in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before things... All things and in Him all things hold together. Think about that. Yes, Jesus came for you and for me, but all things as well are held together in Jesus. And His work on the cross is even bigger than we imagine. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, it's about making you and I new. It's about offering us forgiveness, and it's about something so much more. It's about making all of creation new. And when you and I become part of that, when we welcome Jesus into our lives and say, we are going to follow Jesus, that's what we step into. And nothing captures that better than the scripture we already read today, so wonderfully chosen for today, that I want us to see again from 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In other words, when God wants to say, hey, if you want to know what the world is coming to, look at my followers. That's what the new creation looks like. It's like after the end of a long winter or snowmageddon. And the snow begins to fade away. And the weather warms up. And you see that first crocus. Or you see that first blossom on the apple tree. And you know spring is coming. You know new life is coming. That's what Christians are like. That's what we're called to be. When people look at us, they should say, ah, there's a new world coming. That's what it looks like. Christians are part of the new creation. We're saved from our sins, but we are saved for the new creation. So God can partner with us again, just like He intended in the beginning. And this time, our calling is to heal what has been broken and restore what has been lost. And the Bible comes full circle at the end in Revelation 21 to 22 by giving us a picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And a better translation is actually a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Imagine all the things that are wrong with this world being made right. Imagine the very life of heaven coming down and being part of the life on earth. That's the picture we get at the end of Scripture. Not that we are taken off to some distant heaven, but that heaven comes and inhabits the very earth on which we live. That's the picture of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That's what it's about when we say we're stewards of creation. It's part of being stewards of this great gospel that calls people to personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's part of being stewards of the gospel that says we need to help those who are having trouble. Who are on the margins it's part of the gospel that says there are structural problems with the way humans live together that need to be addressed problems of racism and poverty and it's part of the gospel that says even bigger than that the way we have been living on this earth has not been up to the standards that god has told us from the very beginning all of that is connected All of that is part of the whole gospel. And all of that is included when we say we want to be stewards and good stewards. That is the journey that you are on here at Renew. So as I close, I want to leave you with just three things to ponder. This has been a big sermon from Genesis to Revelation. So I do want to leave you with just three things to ponder. The first thing is this. We have a great origin story. A great origin story. Genesis 1 and 2 are neglected way more than it should be, and it helps us understand the gospel later on. We have a great origin story. It deserves to be read, it deserves to be studied. And if you're going to read it, I suggest read it outside. And think about the diversity, the beauty, the complexity, the majesty of the world that we live in every single day. A great origin story. The second thing I want to leave you with is this, things to ponder. You are a part of that good creation. Sometimes it can seem like everything is going downhill. Sometimes it might even seem that way in your life. Before anything else that God says to you, God says you are good, a good creation. And that when we follow Jesus, we get to be part of the new creation. God recreating us, renewing us from the inside out. We get to be front and center in what God is doing throughout the whole universe. That's worth pondering. The third thing is that following Jesus, I've said this already, following Jesus means partnering with God in the healing of creation. In all of that interconnected way that I mentioned. Now again, that can be overwhelming as well. Where do we start? Right where you are. God has planted you and this church in a particular corner of creation and given you a particular call to care for the people and place that this is. And you're doing it. You're doing it. And I just want to say, keep doing it. I want to show you a picture of the garden. I got to be part of this a little bit last year at the beginning. Let's go back to that first one. That's what it was the first time that I came. Interesting enough, there was a community garden here. There was. There was a seed that had been planted by the previous church. And this church wanted to renew it. This church wanted to make it what it could be. Go ahead to the next slide. And in just one year, these are the kind of pictures that emerged. That is what it means to be stewards. That is what it means to have a An imagination that says, this is what faith can do. This is what it can mean to connect people to Jesus, to each other, and to the land. When I tell people about Renew, I say, let me tell you about the garden. They're doing it. So keep it up. Because you know what you're creating here? An origin story. I can't wait to see where it goes, because with God, origin stories are just the beginning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.